Yeah, let's just clap for that, y'all. That, that was, I'm telling you, the, the re-conference, one huge weekend-long hug for people that desperately need that, that real encouragement. So this whole conference is for families of uh, children that have uh, gone through the foster care system or adoptive families, but those who are beleaguered in, in need of that, that replenishing. I just want to tell you, Westside, whether uh, it's our online community, Speedway Campus, South Sanctuary, right here in this room in Lenox, I just want to say that we were living and continue to do in so many ways, but with the reconference, straight out of our deep, deep heart to wrap God's family, not only around your family, but also around families that desperately need that real encouragement. I wish you could see the, the tears and the look in their eyes when they walked out and when we clapped them out. It's amazing. And you're a part of that. And that's what we really want you to hear. When you give, when you serve, when you lock arms with the Westside family community, you are a part of that. So we just want to say thank you. Also want to uh, just remind you, we're in this 40 days of prayer and fasting. How is it going? How is it going? Hey, we have a survey coming up. And you you can access this through uh, emails coming out and all the different channels but we want to know what's happening. If you're new to Westside, we were uh, challenged by Pastor Randy to fast from whatever uh, was our choosing for, um, for a period of time to be praying because we're on this uncharted journey as a church. So to be praying for our leadership, that they would have wisdom and discernment and courage to go forth into the next year and the many years beyond. And also the uncharted journey that you and I and our households that we're on and what is God speaking and saying and nudging and emboldening in that way. And so the survey is gonna ask you those questions. I just wanna encourage you, be honest. I was talking to one of my buddies earlier this week. I'm like, how's it going? He's chosen to fast from food every Thursday. He's like, I don't know, man. I just get really angry about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. (laughs) <laughs> but we're trusting. We're trusting that there's something in it. Uh, I've chosen to fast from what I've just called the three S's. Spirits, that's alcohol. Sweets, that's like dessert. And then striving. Striving as I um, launched this new business two years ago. And it's like I can't turn off the valve of constantly working. And that's been a struggle. So too, the first two, spirits and sweets, especially when I was with these guys, my best friends from college, we've been doing life together for uh, nearly, I don't know, 27, 28 years. We get together in Southern California every year around the same time just to stay connected in person, and it is so rich to do friendship. And there's one guy that you can see there. His name is Bart Clemens. He's in the blue golf-collared shirt, and uh, Bart was our mentor when we were in college. And every Sunday night, along with another mentor of ours, John, they would meet us at 10 p.m., to midnight in an old converted garage in Santa Barbara, California, and they would just walk us through the picture of Jesus as displayed in the Gospels. And I gotta tell you, sitting under Bart's teaching was life-changing. I was introduced to like a Jesus I like had never known before, but, but he was right there in, in the scriptures and the, the, the amount of like brilliant insight and the way that he could explain things and unpack them like changed every single one of us. I'm telling you, every single one of us are different as a result of Bart and, and John's investment. You might be wondering, well, like where, where did John or, and Bart, where did those guys pastor? And the answer is Bart was a real estate attorney probably made like a million bucks a year, I'm guessing, and spent two hours every week with a bunch of college yahoos 
explaining the way of Jesus. And if I'm honest, at that time and over the course of the years since, I would catch myself thinking things like, wow, Bart is such a great teacher, man. He really missed his calling. He really should like be in, in ministry, right? <laughs> or something like, like, like that. And, and what's behind that? I actually had somebody tell me this on Friday. I, I was a lead pastor in another great church in, in town and I've transitioned, I've started a company and, and all of this. And this woman, I didn't know her very well. She got out of the car, she goes, hey, I know you. I'm like, uh, hi, I didn't, I didn't recognize her at all. And she goes, I heard you left and the whole thing. And she goes, and she was trying to give me a compliment and it was kind of one of those sidebar compliments, but she ended up saying, when I heard the news, I thought, what a waste. <laughs> but I know exactly what she meant because I was thinking about Bart that way and, and another mentor, Byron. And even in some ways, my, my own dad who owned an insurance company, it was an insurance broker. And, and the, the thought of uh, the line of reasoning kind of goes like this. If God really had his way with you and if you were fully surrendered, you'd be wearing a frock and collar. You'd be on, on another continent as part of a mission agency, that, that God is okay with somebody like my dad who's an insurance broker all of his life, faithful, amazing, in all those ways, but he'd be most pleased, most pleased with somebody who was in vocational ministry, meaning they were getting paid for that stuff. And, the, and somehow in, in the ways that I thought about it, like there was this scale of God's pleasure over us, like most pleased if you're a ministry, moderately pleased, mildly pleased, you know, minimally pleased, like, and it was all based on where you worked and how sold out you were. Do you see how messed up that line of thinking is? As if there's a first class Christian group and that's the professionals, and then there's a second class group and that's everyone else. As if the thing that really matters is right here within these walls. And everything else is prelude up to that. You see, see what's going on here? If we peel this back theologically, this, there's a schism for so many of us where there's the sacred. That's what we're doing right here. This is all very sacred. And then there's the secular, the stuff you gotta do in your, in your, in your day job, in the, the Monday through Saturday. That, that's all that. And never shall the two really meet. God really only cares about this over here, the, the sacred and not so much about this. And what does that mean for you when on Monday you, you head into the workplace, whether that's at home with your kids or whether you're in one of those weird virtual hybrid scenarios like where so many of us are, or you go to your place of work, what does that mean for you? What does the Lord think about you in that place? What does he most want for you there? So what I want if, if, we, if we accomplish anything here today, my hope is that we and you and I will remix your fit in the kingdom of God. That you will know that whether you are a scientist, whether you are a student, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an artist, whether you own a manufacturing company, whether you're in construction, whether you uh, are an attorney, whether you own a Baskin Robbins or an orchard, that you will know that you matter in the kingdom of God just as much as someone like Pastor Randy Frazee or someone that has the frock and the collar or someone that's on support, um, a missionary overseas. You matter just as much that your fit in the kingdom of God would be remixed. Now, why do I say that? I say that because when we go to the scriptures, that's all I can see. Take like 
the most like familiar passage perhaps for most. John chapter three, verse 16, it says, for God so loved the church that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What, what, what did I get wrong? God so loves the what? The world. And what's that world? Like what's the Greek in there? That world is cosmon from which we get the term cosmos. And, and, the, and the meaning behind it is like the whole world system, all the people, all the creation, everything under God, what God breathed into existence. There is no sacred and secular. No, it looks more like this. And God's kingdom surrounds it all. And I probably shared this quote before. I love it. It comes from Abraham Kuyper, the former prime minister of the Netherlands. And he says this. Look, look at it with me. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine, mine. There's not one square inch over the whole domain of human existence by which the Lord doesn't say mine. And I would add, he's like, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it with you right there in your cube, in your kitchen, in your classroom, in your boardroom, I'm with it, and I'm saying mine. We need to remix our sense of fit in the kingdom of God. Do you think about your work in that way? With that much purpose? With that amount of intentionality? And do you think that Jesus cares as much about what you're doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, et cetera, as he does like what you're doing right here and now. And what do you even think about Jesus and his work? What did Jesus do before he was a rabbi? Teacher, savior of the world. What did he do? Wrong. This is a new insight for me. Uh, we all said carpenter. I would have said that before I, I read an article on this. And this is where it comes from, by the way. So if we go to Mark, it says this. Um, everyone's being blown away by Jesus. He's doing crazy, crazy stuff. And they go, isn't this the carpenter, right? Wait, we know this guy, Mary's son, James' brother, all, all that stuff. And carpenter kind of got a funky translation. And we think, what do we think when we think of Jesus as a carpenter? I don't know. Maybe you've watched some of the Jesus movies. And you think of him in this, like, shack out back. One little window with this sun streaming in. It's picking up all the particles of sawdust. Joseph, his dad, is looking just tenderly over his shoulder, and he's looking down this line of freshly cut wood, and he goes, and then the sawdust blows, and Joseph pats him on the back, and they've made a beautiful, you know, side table or something, right? Or he makes like wooden puppets, I, I, I don't know. And that's what I've always thought. Here's the problem with that. First of all, the word for carpenter is tecton in the Greek, from which we get the word, interestingly, architect. And it means one who works with various amounts of different kinds of materials. Wood, yes. Stone, metal, in building. Furthermore, there's not many trees where Jesus lived. So wood wasn't uh, a common com commodity, but stone was. And in fact, Jesus only really talks about wood craftsmanship once. But he talks about stone, he talks about cornerstones, he talks about foundations, and he even nicknames his, one of his closest friends, Peter, which is Cephas, which is rock 
or stone. You begin to look at his teachings and you're like, well, he only talked about wood craftsmanship once. He talked about a lot of things way more. Look with me in Luke chapter 14. And tell me if this sounds like a singular carpenter, which by the way, I am not undermining. I'm just wanting to amplify the possibility of Jesus being uh, different here than we've always imagined. He says in chapter 14, verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Does that sound like somebody who just works by themselves and, and builds you know, side tables? Or does it sound like somebody who has experience far more? In an article from Christianity Today, uh, James Monsoon, boy, do I wish I had that name, that would be so cool. Here's how he summarizes, if you look at the whole breadth of Jesus' teaching in his life, Jesus spoke constantly of financial practice, of management of both projects and people, payment, debt wages, investment, hiring and firing, relationships between managers and staff. Does that, does that open up anything for you? Does that connect you a little bit more to, as we're learning to grow and follow Jesus, that the Jesus that we're following actually has a lot more to say about where you live and work and actually has experienced so many things like what you and I experience every single day. Let me just give you a few. Number one, actually, Jesus would, it would seem, would be much more like a GC, like a general contractor. Now, that, now I know we have general contractors among us. You go, wow, I didn't know Jesus thought like that for me. Now, in that day and age, not like today, but that day and age, it was not a well-respected position. So how many of you right now, you serve in an industry or you have a role where you feel like there's some stigma around it? Jesus gets that. He knows what, what that's like. Number two, Jesus worked with others. It wasn't just him alone in a shop. He had a team. How many of you work with a team? Okay, thank you. It's getting really lonely up here. How many of you love every single member of your team? Right? Okay, one hand, right? Yeah, Jesus gets that. He knows what it's like to work with different people, different personalities, different backgrounds, different worldviews. He gets that. Jesus worked for the man. More than likely, he was, he was working on King Herod-funded projects. It was around that time that King Herod was uh, doing a lot of different municipal projects around. More than likely, he was working for the man he later called that fox. Well, where did he learn about the ways of King Herod, the man? Maybe as one who worked for the man. Jesus had a team, more than likely. Jesus had probably people under him, and he, he reported to people over him. How many of you work for the man? Yeah, many of us do, right? Jesus gets that. Jesus, because there would be very few jobs in, um, you know, in, in, in the Galilean area, he would have to go to what was called the 10 cities where most of those projects were. So Jesus traveled for his job. How many of you travel? How many of you like travel, right? 
Jesus gets a thing or two. In fact, Jesus was subject to temptation to the tavern and to the hotel bar. How many of you know the temptations of travel, right? And how hard that is on family and everything else. Jesus gets that. He gets your world. Now, I I don't know about you. That changes things for me. Because just following somebody that, uh, that worked in a shop by themselves and used their hands, I'm not mechanical, I can't relate to that. But understanding Jesus in full circumference as one who traveled, who one who had teams, who one who uh, had to report to men, like that's helpful for me. And to know that Jesus, as it says in Hebrews, was subject to every temptation known to man and yet did not sin. I'm like, all right, I can follow that guy anywhere, into any place into any domain of my existence, I can follow him as Lord because he knows what that's like. Do you know Jesus, for two decades more than likely, he, he worked. And it wasn't just prelude for him to the moment he's gonna go, ta-da, here I am, rabbi. No, it was an integrated, seamless thing that what, what, we, what we see here captured, the three and a half years of his life, overflow from the first 30 in which he, just like you and me, had a job. We need to remix our sense of fit and the way we even fit with Jesus. Now, you might go, okay, well, that's cool. Um, but when I read the Bible, it seems like everyone, when they met Jesus, they quit their jobs. <laughs> How many of you want to meet Jesus? <laughs> right? I mean, they dropped their nets, right? They closed their tax book. And so am I really being um, disobedient because I haven't fully sold out or surrendered because I, I, I have a, a well-paying job and I'm doing these kinds of things. What, what's that up about? I, I, I work with a guy, and I have his permission to, to share this, who, who said, Dan, when I was, I think, in college, he said, I received this really poignant kind of message from God. He's like, it, 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 unlike anything else in my life, it was very literal, very tangible, and it was that my calling is gonna be in ministry, he said. Guess what he does today? He owns an advertising agency. And as we pressed into this more, he's had this deep-seated sense of haunting that he's been disobedient to God all this time. Well, when he received that, that word, he, he went into the church, and he worked in the church, and he did the church, and he was miserable. And now he's leading teams, he's investing in his people, he's fully alive, he's leaving an amazing amount of impact, he's doing good, hard work. And I step back and I have permission to share something. I'm like, Jason, this is ministry. What you're doing is you are fulfilling your call. You just need to give yourself permission to go, it's not like this and this, it's this right here. We need to remix our fit. When you look at the scriptures, are you reading about a community of people who mostly quit their jobs? Quite the contrary. In fact, we just look at, uh, let me look at two passages with you together. First Thessalonians chapter four, the apostle Paul says to both men and women, he says, make it your ambition. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and I don't think that's like, you know, don't be a busybody. I think he's talking about your business. And work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. 
Apostle Paul's saying, do good quality work. And yeah, there'll be times for proclamation about what drives you, but more than anything, it'll be the demonstration of your consistency and your faithfulness in your job. That's kingdom work. We go to James, James chapter four. I love this one because this is, this, no passage to me has been more choice for the COVID era than this one. Chapter four, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on with our business and make money. <laughs> Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. <laughs> huh? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Paul's not saying quit your job so you can be in vocational ministry. He's saying, as you work, as you go to seek making a profit, as you travel in your business, are you surrendered in the work? Are you surrendered? in the work, and boy, we, we need to do that unlike ever before. That's why I don't travel anymore without getting the stupid insurance. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so unpredictable. Unlike ever before, we need to be more surrendered, but more purposeful in our work. Remix our fit. And I would just say this, vocational ministry, as you look at the scriptures, is more the exception than it is the expectation. It's more the exception. And, it's, and if God's calling you there, absolutely. But I think all the inertia seems to be pushing toward, towards there. We go, no, no, wait a minute. The expectation, in fact, I would say this, the strategy of God. How is, it, how is Jesus gonna have 12 disciples, then 70, then 120, then 500, that ultimately over two centuries will lead to 25 million and they're gonna turn the Roman Empire upside down? How's that gonna work? I would say the strategy was most need to be working in the kingdom, in their jobs, and in fact, history would prove it so. And one of my favorite books about the early church is called The Patient Ferment. The now deceased Dr. Alan Kreider asked the question, where did all this explosive growth come from that would change the way you and I today are even thinking about our jobs, the fact that we're even here today as a church, he says, how did this all happen? Ordinary Christians. It was anonymous Christians, not the official leaders, who were primarily responsible for Christianity spread. Lay Christians traveled to new areas and established churches. What caused ordinary Christians to get involved in this? Often, it was work. Christians followed their business opportunities or the imperatives of their jobs by moving from their home areas to new areas as merchants, artisans, doctors, prisoners, slaves, and by the third century, soldiers. you hear that? Why are we here today? Why are churches gathered? Why has, uh, have followers of Jesus spread all over the planet? Why are there more than two billion today? Because people in their jobs were simply being faithful to Jesus as Lord. And it's changed the world. And I believe going forward, one of the most like cutting edge expressions of the church going forward will be people who have kingdom mindsets for their business, for their work. In fact, let me just, let me just summarize. So we're in this remix um, series that we're in, last week we got to hear from our leaders of local and global impact, Derek Nunley and, and Matt Adams. And, and hopefully like you, I'm so impressed. All the stuff that we're doing, here's a heat map of the globe 
We're in the Congo, we're in South Africa and Thailand and there's like 400 churches that are, house churches that are sprouting up. We're at the board, we're at all these places and we zoom into Kansas City and we're with Mission Adelante and what if the church and the, the re-conference and Joy Meadows and these beautiful places. And I, I, I just, hear me say this, like, let's get involved. Let's give, let's serve. Go to the luncheon at 12.30 today. Get online and, and find out more. And yet, you know what I love about our leadership and what I love about our church? They all get that that's not the only picture. In fact, it's incomplete. Because where most of us are on mission is where we spend the majority of the domain of our human existence, right where you work. So to be... Uh, illustrative for a second. Here's a, a more accurate heat map. And, and some of you work at Garmin and others of you work at Cerner and, and Henderson Engineering and Black and & Veatch. And one of you owns a, a Baskin Robbins. Another one owns a Family Orchard. Another one of you owns a, a, an IT consulting company. Another one of you owns the four market centers for a real estate company. And some of you work in a factory and so others of you are at home. And some of you are at schools, you're educators. And some of you are artists and scientists and lawyers, and our reach knows no end if we know our fit, if we know our fit. Do you know your fit? Do you know that you fit in the kingdom of God no less than someone on a stage or wearing a collar? Do you know that? Do you believe that? And do you have intention? Do you have purpose for what's gonna happen when you roll in Monday morning? The impact will know no bounds. This is how the church will be expressed more and more going forward. And I want to challenge each of us to think about the very end in mind. Like a guy like Dave Munson who owns a company in Latin and Central America. Who he's thinking so much about his impact at the very end and beyond that he's even designing his own casket as part of it. Let's watch. Yeah, one centimeter. And then we'll do, uh, see, I like these right here, but it's, this is too much. <clears throat> it's too deep. It, it feels like a, like, a, like a Lincoln Continental from the 70s. <laughs> My name is Dave Munson. I am the uh, oh wait, owner or CEO or president of Saddleback Leather Company. They're going to lean this up like this, up against the coffin. And right now I'm designing uh, my coffin because I think it's cool. <laughs> like, 
I don't want to have like a Dudley coffin. So my feet will be sticking up here. So wherever the feet are, I don't, I can't have the pockets here when they put these down. I can't have the pockets touching my feet. In fact, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, they're gonna have one of my coffins because they're so stinking cool. And, uh, and they don't have long to go. I'd gone to this funeral recently and the guy was a really neat guy. And his funeral was like, eh. When I die, I'm gonna have it on like whatever it is, whatever the equivalent of Facebook Live is then. So hopefully millions of people, or probably thousands, <laughs> hundreds maybe. <laughs> Let's just say hundreds of people are gonna watch the funeral and they're gonna hear the gospel. And, but it's gonna lure them in because of my cool coffin. Wouldn't that be super cool? When I was 19, uh, I went on a mission trip and I felt like that is what I want to do the rest of my life. I don't want to waste my life. I want to reach people for the kingdom. I, I just knew I wanted to do ministry the rest of my life. And then someone came up and said, hey Dave, uh, we really need someone to go down to Mexico to teach English. And I thought, man, that sounds so cool. <laughs> so think of all the ministry I could do if I were fluent in Spanish. So I headed down to Mexico and I wanted a bag to carry my books. So I found this bag maker named Leonel, and uh, because I couldn't find a bag, I went to him and I said, hey, can you make me a bag? I sketched it out and I said, God, would you help this to be the coolest bag ever? <laughs> you know, I mean, ever. I want this to be the greatest, coolest bag, and I want you to get more glory from this bag than any other bag that has ever existed on this planet. Why not? I mean, it's free, just like ask. So I did that bag and it came back and man, Everywhere I went, people were going, oh, excuse me, sir, where could I get a bag like that? Where'd you find that bag? How can I get one of these bags? I remember laying in, in, on the floor in Juarez. I was like, huh. That'd be cool if I could make this into a real business, you know? Oh yeah, that'd be cool, but I have to do ministry, so I guess I can't do that. <laughs> I was kind of stupid. Duffels, I mean, mini, du mini duffels. Okay. Well, what about the medium-sized Great idea. Okay. Yeah. But I don't want any of this on it. No. None. No. I think we used it all up, guys. Yep. I really don't understand why your faith has to be separate. God cares about beauty. He cares. God makes and creates beautiful things. And so we use really good, high-quality materials. We spend a lot more on our materials because we want things to last. Everything God does is quality, no exceptions. We are all about quality. We are all about reaching people, loving on people. And the business has allowed us to speak into people's lives that I know we would have never had the opportunity to do that. People see us on social media, people contact me, and it opens a door to be able to love on people very easily. I was having a lot of fun on social media. I didn't see it as, uh, as a ministry, as a way to influence. I, I was just seeing it as a way to interact with our customers. Since then, we've had a lot of people say, 
hey, you know, I hate Christians. And I think that you guys are like, probably Christians, I think. And I like you guys. Hola. He's two months old. I think he looks like mama. Early on, I was like, we need to do something for the workers here and give them a place to drop their babies free. We're not, don't ask for anything, but then also for these kids to be educated there and to get great food and to be loved on and to learn about Jesus, learn about God. So we opened a daycare. We put the daycare in place and this guy says, why did you do that? He was like, please, I gotta know. He came up to the office, he was crying. He said, you know, it's changed our lives. And why, why did you do that? He really wanted to know why. I said, well, it's because God loves you so much and he loves you so much, he wanted your family to be whole, and so he he put it inside of us to do that. And so I, I can't help it, I like, I want to. <laughs> it's like, I hope you like it. <laughs> Success to me is if people are looking towards God and are drawing closer to him because of my life, I have had a successful life. Simply that. So, you know, I started off with that one bag. And for me, it ended up being the best bag in the whole world. Like, the greatest, coolest bag in the whole world. But when I started Saddleback Leather, it was to reach people. Because my life is super short here, I'm not going to waste my time. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I, I hope that inspires you, helps you think differently about your life and your work and your fit in the kingdom of God. That's from our friends at Faith Driven Entrepreneur. You can go on the website and watch more of those awesome videos of people who are seeing the secular and the sacred together. Hey, uh, maybe a couple of thoughts. What can we do about all this? One is, yeah, there's this lunch, 1230, for local and global impact, or get online about that. Two, we're gonna be starting a, a series, eight-week series in the summer, where we're gonna go down deep and stay down long about this idea that work matters, work matters. It's just such a big part of our lives. So more to come on that. But in the in-between, what would I do? I would go to a course like Pray Like Jesus or the, the other course, Be Like Jesus. Because maybe in your mind you're like, oh, that would be, that'd be good, I guess, for the, the spiritual part of me, I should probably do that. No, for the work part of you. To be like Jesus at work. To pray like Jesus at work. So as your own training, if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna kind of live into that life like Dave and Suzette have modeled for us, it's gonna take training, it's gonna take discipleship, it's gonna take development. So what are you doing to develop yourself so you can have the maximum amount of kingdom impact? 
where God has placed you today, where you have put your hand to the plow. Let's be there. Let's be there in full. Amen? Amen? All right. And so Dave is thinking about his life with a seamless integration of from bags all the way to the coolest leather-bound coffin. So to our Lord, seamless integration. Thinking about the end of his very life. It wasn't a casket. It wasn't a leather-bound coffin. It was a chunk of splintered wood that Jesus knew was before him so that he could lay his life down for the sins of the world. And so if you are able, would you stand with me, grab the elements that you received on the way in, online community. We just trust that you can find crackers or juice or whatever, and we're trusting Jesus to make that sacred for you. And we remember Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, the builder, the general contractor, Jesus, who knows every temptation and yet did not sin, but actually became that sin so that he could die for the sins of the world. And we take his bread broken and remember his body. And we take the cup of juice and remember that when Jesus was with his dearest friends, he held up one of the cups and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. I'm inviting you into a new covenant, into a new way of relating. And so we drink in remembrance of him and that life. And so Jesus, as we continue to worship, we just ask that here and now, would you, if there's any partition in the way that we think about our lives, if there's any dichotomy or schism, would you just blow it all up? And help us to see that our work matters, that our life matters, that the companies that we serve or lead matter in the kingdom of God. And give us courage there. Give us encouragement there. Give us perseverance there and purpose. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we all say together, amen. Let's, let's sing.